This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hi, and welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. My name is Louise and I'm an alcoholic. The purpose of this show is to increase public awareness of Alcoholics Anonymous as an effective means of recovery from the disease of alcoholism. Our show has two parts. First, we'll talk a bit about alcoholism, what it is and what AA can do to help. Then we'll interview a recovering alcoholic who is an active member of AA. I'm now going to ask our guests to read the AA preamble, which is read at the start of every AA meeting. My name is Brendan. I'm an alcoholic. Um, at the AA preamble, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We are self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Thanks, Brendan. So what is alcoholism? Alcoholism is a disease, not a disgrace. There's no shame in having an illness or a disease. An unusual feature of this disease is that it will do whatever it can to convince you that you do not have it. However, once it has a hold of you, the progression of symptoms is like the classic disease model and the victim is as helpless as a sufferer of cancer. If you are an alcoholic, you're at the beginning of a long road that usually ends in one of three places, prisons, institutions or death. If you think this sounds dramatic, we can assure you that our collective experience has shown this to be true. The challenge is to convince the alcoholic to admit that they need help and become willing to seek it. Denial is a major symptom of alcoholism. The alcoholic is often the last one to recognise it and admit that they have it. Our definition of alcoholism is it is an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. The allergy is the physical aspect of the disease. After having the first drink, the phenomenon of craving develops and we lose control over when we will stop drinking. The old saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. And yet, because of the obsession of the mind, the mental aspect of the disease, the alcoholic is compelled to keep picking up the first drink, and this is what makes us powerless. We often hear from sober alcoholics that many doubted whether life could be fun without alcohol. Fortunately, those same people report that their lives have improved dramatically since they became sober. The 12-step program of recovery which is discussed at meetings and which is outlined in the Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book, is how we get sober and maintain our sobriety one day at a time. 
This program has a proven track record of helping otherwise hopeless alcoholics to achieve long-term sobriety and recovery. It has taught us how to enjoy life sober. Okay, for anyone who has just joined us, you're listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show here on Plains FM 96.9. And we're just about to interview an AA member who is going to share their experience with alcoholism. So let's meet our guest. Welcome to the show, Brendan. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and how long you've been sober? Okay, my name's Brendan. Um, I'm an alcoholic. It's nice to be here. Um, I'm 25 years sober. I wow. uh, grew up in Southland and uh, uh, started drinking when I was about 14 mm-hmm. and finished drinking when I was... The day before my 25th birthday, actually, is my last drink. Wow. Didn't plan it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and and so, you, so you grew up in Southland, um, so family? Yeah, I have uh, mum and dad, uh, they're still alive, and I, I have a sister, younger sister. Mm-hmm. She likes a drink, but not like I like a drink, or used mm-hmm. to like a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's certainly, there's alcoholism in my family. Um, both sides quite rampant, um, mm-hmm. so it's um, you know they say it's a family disease. And I've got no reason to doubt that. I don't know expert on those sort of f- figures or, or or information, but but uh, I can see the patterns. Mm-hmm. So so you know, tell us a little bit about you know your childhood into your early teens. And and when you know you mentioned when you you first had your first drink, what was that like, and what did it do for you? Okay, well I have a little. It's kind of a joke, but I, I often say I was fine at home with mum, you know, and I was, you know, uh, till I till I had to go out and sort of meet people. And I remember going. Mum took me to kindergarten. I can remember as if it was yesterday, uh, being four years old and just freaking out. And I suppose most kids freak out at four years old when they, you know, they get into public, into the public. And uh, but I, I look back on that, and I can still remember how self-conscious mm. I felt dreadfully. And I think to myself because I didn't start drinking, didn't have my first real drink when I had the odd wee shandy or something like that <laughs> as a young boy. But the first real drink, drunk, was when I was fourteen, and uh, and the effect was just amazing. And I thought, I remember when I first felt, it, I thought, man, I could have done this when I was four. <laughs> <laughs> I could have walked in there. I could have taken, you know, charge of <laughs> because I just kindergarten, kindergarten, you know, <laughs> and everything else. But after that, but you know, but I certainly alcohol filled holes in me that I didn't know I had mm-hmm. until I was drunk. And I, you know, ah, oh, just my head would go quiet. I'd feel warm, and on the inside, I felt my my height, you know, and I wasn't afraid, and I had hope uh, for the future, and I th- and and charged in joy and excitement. It just did everything for me. And I thought, man, this is the way I should feel. I should feel sober, but I don't. This mm. is the missing ingredient to my mm. life. You know, this is. I'm going to try and do this at every opportunity, <laughs> <laughs> and I did. And so, you know, at 14, such a young age, you know, were you able to get access to to alcohol and how did you drink with your friends was it with your friends or well you know I had a part time job at that age and, and at high school I was and uh, 
uh, and I would steal it from Dad, mm-hmm. like a cabinet or um, a party. You know, I'd we'd take drinks to a party and and try and drink yours <laughs> <laughs> before mine and put my, you know, and drink mine. And you know, I would just get it any way I could. Mm. Yeah. Once I got that um, thought of a drink, it was it became an obsession mm. in my mind. And then once I had one, there was a craving inside me, a physical, bit like a kind of like a mild itch on the inside mm. to get another one. I thought, right, this feels good. I want to get the next. I want to get to that place. There was always this desire to get to that place where, as I said before, it was quiet in the head, warm in the inside. Where I was in the moment really is what I've come to understand. It's what it did for me. Mm. It brought me right into the moment where I'd be, I used to smoke, I'd have a cigarette, you know, mm. oh, it's just, it, it, you know, or eat something. Could be a pot of mince. It would feel like a roast dinner. You know what I mean? It was just, <laughs> it just enhanced my senses. Mm. Everything. Woman mm. started to look really, you mm. know, wonderful. <laughs> Everyone looked wonderful. You know, you become my best friend. I could be at the bar. I could have just met you, and I said, I'd be talking to you for five minutes, two minutes probably. And and after a little bit, I say, you know, do you come here every week? And I had my arm around, singing songs, and <laughs> and saying, you're just amazing. It just it just made life. You know, ten dollars. Yeah, yeah. And so, as you progressed into sort of early adulthood, late teens, early twenties, how did your drinking, pro- ch- you know, did your drinking change? Did it progress? It was it was a gradual uh, change. Um, in the beginning, I guess, just like most people, it was just weekends and things mm-hmm. like that. And then uh, I would sneak. I always would have sneaky drinks, you know, I'd buy something and drink in my bedroom or mm-hmm. I had a paper run when I was young and I used to drink, you know, in the morning sometimes if I had had it and I'd put, to help the paper run, <laughs> to, you know, to just, you know, just to help me cope with everything. And uh, and then it, was, it progressed into, um, then later it would be Thursday, Friday, Saturday, sometimes Sunday, but, but it would... Uh, and then, right at the end of my well, not right at the end of my drinking, a, f- a few years before my the end of my drinking, I was unemployed, and I I would drink my stays if mm. I could, mm. if I could get it, and alone, which is obviously not social drinking, and so so I didn't. It was the effect I was always after. I love to drink with other people, as mm. I've just sort of said, but but if there was no one around, and it was less trouble. As I went on to drink mm, alone, because you know mm. I would cause trouble with my mouth. Normally, I was never really violent or that. I could be violent, but not. Mm. It wasn't the main characteristic of, of Brendan. It was just it was more mouthy, um, argumentative. Uh, I could be cruel with my mouth. Um, yeah. And, and you talked. You, yeah. you talked about you, you know you came or you had your last drink at. You know, some what some of us would consider quite a young age. What was it that made you think this isn't normal, or did you, you know, upon your journey, think this isn't normal, and maybe I have a problem and need to stop? I, I look, I've never to this day, I've never really felt like I've had a normal life. Secretly, it's a secret. I don't know if I've ever shared that at a meeting with you. Here we go. I've just felt like I'm a bit different. I always felt like I was waiting on the spaceship to come down and get me when I was a kid, you know. 
I'm, you've put me on the wrong planet. I don't feel like I belong or fit. I don't know what to do, how to be. Um, and so I never really felt like I had a normal life. You know, some people, I've heard them share in Alcoholics Anonymous, they, they became great successes and, and then they, they their drinking got worse and then they, mm-hmm. my alcoholism never let me get off the runway, runway right. really. Like, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't get started. Um, I would have, you know, I was sort of a, a the old saying, you know, we don't use yards, but it's American saying, but 50-yard dash, man. I'd be right for 50 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, start a new job, new thing, new relationship, whatever, and I'd be right for a while, and then I'd just wreck it. Yeah. Not even, not intentionally, but my, I was at the beck and call of my emotions, and mm. I'd just have, it might be at work one day, and I'd just think, you're not paying me enough. That's it. Or I don't like you, or, you know, I can't stand you after, if I let it ruminate. And then I'll just I might quit the job, and this is this is sober, you know, physically not in AA, but physically sober. My al- the alcoholism of my mind that mm. we we talk about would make me make decisions based on what was good for me in the moment, not thinking through the consequences uh, for me and family. And I didn't think about that. I was I want out, I want out of the situation, or I'd be abusive and not mm. think about. You know, I could say things that would destroy a relationship mm. in, in two minutes, you know, and, and think, oh, what did you do that for? But my emotions would just overrule my intellect. Mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not super intelligent, really. I'm just an average intelligence. But, but I would, you know, if I was to look at someone, like, if I was to look at me and my life the way I was living it, drinking and not drinking, I would think whoever's giving that guy advice should be sacked. <laughs> because you know this guy, his whole goal is he wants to be happy, and he's just wrecking everything at mm. every turn, drinking and not drinking, and that's the part of the mental side, this deep selfishness, self-centeredness, and self-seeking that we talk about in our literature uh, of alcoholism was what made me feel different too, because that excessive concentration on myself is what made me feel different because I'm not different. I'm a human being. I'm just mm. like you. I've got mm. a normal family, normal life. I have good, loving parents, mm. and, uh, a sister, and um, everyone I had every opportunity in life. Mm. And yet I just didn't didn't fit. And so, you know, we we often describe or you, you hear the term banded around as rock bottom. You know, what was it that brought you into the rooms, into recovery, or your first AA meeting, and what was that like? My first AA meeting, I felt like I, did, I, I just went to shut people up. Okay. I was young, I was 16, and shut wow. the family up. And and I uh, I thought, oh, I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, and I thought I'd been acting. You know, I was always a, a lie, lying came. I was never raised to lie or cheat or steal, but it all, I had a flair for it. <laughs> it all come naturally to me. And, you know, and... I thought, well, I'll just go to the AA meeting and and just to keep. It looks like I'm doing something, you know. And I'll just go through. I went to treatment and everything, and I thought, what am I doing? I thought I'll just play it out. Mm-hmm. Lied my way through it all, and um, and and what I didn't realise is there was truth. I felt comfortable in the meetings, and I thought I was just because they're nice people, which is true, mm-hmm. but. It wasn't the whole reason, as I come to discover later. Once you know, it says in our literature in AA that we have to concede to our innermost selves mm. that we're alcoholics, and that's deep, you know, because I have to get through all the mind, ego, bluster, and all the crap. And pain does that. 
So I guess the short answer to your question um, is a ser- little by little, incrementally, big and small uh, failure at life, mm-hmm. drinking and not drinking, uh, over a period of, I think, nine, nine and a half or ten years of drinking, brought me to that rock bottom mm-hmm. where, and, you know, I had four suicide attempts. I mean, that's not successful living by anyone's measure. Mm. You know, I just couldn't, that was sober. I just couldn't cope with the way I felt sober. And, and I, everything I touched sooner or later would turn to crap. Mm. And so my life was in, I couldn't look at one area of my life at the end of it and say, oh, at least that's still good. It's mm. not everybody's experience of alcohol, you know, mm. of coming into air. It's not everybody's rock bottom. But mm. for me, it had to get to the point where I didn't have a friendly direction to go in. And I thought I haven't lost Mm. And, and and so you know your last drink, uh, you know coming into recovery, into AA at twenty five. How have you managed to stay sober? You know what are the things you've put in place, and the process of your recovery. I really think that you know even in sobriety, I haven't been rocketed to stardom. You know it's been incremental improvement. And I think that's been good for me because it's kept me here. Mm. Because I've, I've, this, I've allowed, um, I don't know if I've allowed or it's just come, probably just come, there's always still been a little bit of pain mm-hmm. which has kept me going to a meeting. Mm. You know, because my life's never got that good. <laughs> that I can say, oh, you know, I can give it all up. I've had to keep the meetings up. I've had mm. to keep trying. I always fall off the program, always, you know, as we all do. I'm a human being. Mm. But I, there's a path, a straight path path and I I come I snake around it and then I but I always come back to that path mm. of, of true north of, of sobriety of, of getting better. My my sobriety's been a roller coaster, you know, of emotion and, and living and I've made some stupid mistakes and I've been a bad person sober at times and I've and I've been a better person I guess in the bigger picture, in the general picture. It's an upwards path. Mm. But I'm a alcoholic human being. <laughs> <laughs> full of flaws, and and the, I'm only sober today by God's grace through mm. the 12 years of Alcoholics Anonymous, and th- you guys, you know, my friends. Yeah. I mean, I feel very, I felt very comforted when I come here today because I know you all very well, mm. and uh, it's just a lovely feeling because alcoholics, people in Alcoholics Anonymous, are my family. You know. Mm. Mm. And and so, you know, uh, immersing yourself in in the suggested program. Uh, and, you know, the, the true north, um, you know, things like sponsorship and service. Talk to us more about what that's meant to you. I needed to get a guide to help me when I first came. I was, as I said, I was 25, but I was probably mentally about 14. Mm. And so I didn't know how to, how to live life at all. I mean, literally how to get sober and stay sober. Mm. I mean, I could always get sober, but I could never stay sober. Mm. That 50-yard dash thing, you know. Um, I would never know when that thought, because when that thought of a drink came, I had no mental defence against it. It would just, I just couldn't, the consequences of why I shouldn't drink wouldn't come to mind. And so I had no power against that. So uh, I needed help to find the mental defence, which I found, and I needed some guidance. I needed a template for life, how to live. And I've learned that through uh, sponsorship over the years. And mm-hmm. as for listeners, a sponsor is someone who's been an Alcoholics Anonymous, usually longer than you, or like, doesn't have to be. But usually longer than you, 
who's um, applied the 12 steps, which are a plan for the living, not mm. only to keep you sober, but a plan to how to live your life with, mm. with, a, with some degree, with a decent degree of comfort of living so that you don't want to drink, and more importantly, that you can have some manageability in your mm. life, maybe for the first time. For me, certainly it was for the first time. Some people regain manageability, but for me, I never had it. And I'm a day-by-day proposition, I tell you. Mm. you know, um, My life is good today. I you know, woke up this morning, I thought, put my feet on the ground, I thought, I'm happy to be alive. And that in itself is you know, what I hope listeners can take something from, is, is that hope that... That's not what you felt when you were 14. No. I mean, you know, as I say, you know, I used to wake up in the morning. I used to go to bed at night and, God, I hope I don't wake up. Yeah. And, Sober, and you know, just just, just uh, and thinking I was feeling like I was mad. feel like I could go over the edge any time. Mm, I could just slip. That knife edge. You know, and, just ex- and really what I've come to learn is, you know, it's just that deep, self-concern, that deep, excessive concentration on myself is what makes me feel all this stuff. I'm not that crazy. I'm not that different from anyone else and none of us in this room are either, but we just we get in, we have this need to think about ourselves. Self-obsession. <laughs> Self-obsessed. <laughs> now yeah. you brief, you know, you briefly touched on uh, a higher power or, or what we describe in AA as a spiritual program, not a religious program. Tell us about what that was like for you. Well, I always prayed when I was in trouble, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I put a quid each way, you know. I just, you know, I didn't know if there was a God, but I always kind of felt there was one. But I kind of felt like he was up in the sky somewhere with a big book writing. Every time I should bring the turn left when he should have turned right. <laughs> but I've, I don't have a God like that today, and I couldn't believe in a God like that today. Um, I borrow from all religions. Mm. I borrow from um, all kinds of stuff. I just I grab what I like, and mm. I've made a, a spirituality that fits me. It's it's not what I want it to be. It's not it's not it's not what I think I should have at twenty five years sober. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it it is a way of living. It is a relationship that is working. Uh, I couldn't be without it. Mm. Um, my God helps him with everything, uh, all of life, and um, I, 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 I just know I know that every good and loving thing in my life is because of my relationship with my higher power. That I don't really know what it is. And and has that changed from when you came in at twenty five? Hugely. Yeah. I had I, I knew so much when I got sober, even <laughs> after losing everything. I still had opinions about religion, and if anyone said the word Jesus in a meeting, I'd be like, not that that happens very often, but if they do, I would I would shudder. Mm. And I, but I'd never had any conflict with religion or re- any mm. reason for that. It was just ego thoughts about everything. You mm. know, I can't, one can't go religion. I don't need anything. And AA is not religious. We're a spiritual organisation. There are atheists in AA, mm. and there are people who are deeply religious. Mm. And they're if, and most of us seem to favour the what I've said, borrow from different things from what I hear, mm. and they find their own spirituality. And I love that about Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. There's no pressure to believe anything. Mm. Um, but it, uh, the only proviso is that you must find a higher power. Of some description, mm. some people their higher power is their sponsor. Mm. Two people, you know, obviously no one can argue with that. Two people's uh, thinking is stronger than one. Mm. You know, absolutely. So, Brendan, you know, if, uh, what would you suggest for any listeners who 
think they may have a drinking problem, what are some of the things they could ask them, ask themselves in your experience? Well, I think it's about self-honesty. It's about looking at your, your drinking and saying, well, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of consequences for my drinking. Mm. I paid a huge price for it. Every time I went out, usually, uh, occasionally things w- would go okay, but they wouldn't really go okay. I'd tell myself that was a good mm. night, but no, even if it was just I spent too much money, mm. you know, that I really should have spent on something else, it was still not, there was unmanageability in my life, uh, pain in my life, even on a low level. And so it's just about, it's very hard to do. It's extremely hard for me to be self-honest still, but I have to pray for it. Mm. <laughs> but... um it's about being self-honest about the consequences of your drinking and, mm. and looking at that and, and, and saying, you know, is my drinking really good for me? Mm. <laughs> was it really hurting me and those I love, you know? And, and you've got to ask yourself that question. No one in AA will mm. will tell you. If you go up to someone in AA, they'll say, am I an alcoholic? I suppose the best they can say, well, you sound like one, but we can't <laughs> you sound like me. But, but we won't tell you others. Mm. It's self-diagnosis because... That's the first step. Mm. Um, you know, they, where, where the we side of Alcoholics Anonymous comes from, it says we admitted that we we're powerless over over alcohol, that our, our lives have become unmanageable, you know, because I get drunk, but we stay sober. Mm. And so as soon as you walk into AA, that from that first step is you're not alone. You're not alone, you're not alone anymore, you know. Mm. And so... Mm. If you want to join us, if you want sobriety, if you want life, this is the most successful 12-step program in the world. Mm. From That's the only statistic I know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you. For our listeners, if you've related to anything that you've heard or would like some more information on Alcoholics Anonymous, you can look us up on the web at www aa.org.nz or call us on 0800 AA Works. There are over 60 meetings a week in Canterbury, so it's likely there's one near you. Join us next week to hear from more AA members sharing their experiences. Our show airs every Monday at 5.30pm on Plains FM and repeats on Wednesday at 12.30pm. You can also find podcasts of our past shows on the Plains FM website at plainsfm.org.nz or you can download, subscribe and listen to podcasts on iTunes and Spotify. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you for listening and remember, if you want to drink, that's your business. But like Brendan said, if you want to stop, we can help. You don't have to do it alone. We will now close the show with the serenity prayer as we do in every AA meeting. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. You have been listening to the Alcoholics Anonymous radio show on Plains FM 96.9.